Well, good morning, Berean. It's great to be here in the house of God this morning. We're going to celebrate what God is doing, and we are just thankful that God is opening up the heavens on this place. Amen. Come on, let's worship. Come on, put your hands together.
Jesus this morning, amen. I searched the world, but he couldn't feel me. Man's empty parades and treasures that pay are never enough. Oh, that you came along. back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love oh, oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm all set. I'm not afraid. Oh, to show you my weakness. A billion simple Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me friend. Amen. Oh, because the God. Come on, declare it. Oh, he's the God of the valley. Yeah. Oh, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, because there's nothing safe. Oh, yeah. Nothing is better than you. Oh, I believe it. 
goodness of God. Amen. Lord, you've been so faithful. Oh, you've been so faithful, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord.
gonna sing all my life. All my life you have been faith. All my life you have been so, so good. Yeah. With every breath that I am made. Oh, I perceive, hey, of the goodness of God.
Come on, right now where you're at with hands lifted in this place, hands lifted in your homes. Father, we glorify you. Lord, we stand in awe of your presence. Lord, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our doubt, in spite of frustrations and anxiety, God, we set all that aside. We lay it at the foot of the cross, oh God, and we stand firm. Not only in your presence, oh God, but we stand firm on your word. Lord, we're thankful that all your promises are yes and amen. We honor you today. We bless your name, God. And Lord, I pray right now for the rest of the service, oh God, that we would open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to receive your word. Anoint your servant, oh God. We hunger after you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Turn to one next to you and give him an elbow bump and uh, throw up some hearts, throw up some likes. And we're gonna get ready to hear the word and check out this video. For the moms who raised us up, gave us hope, and made us strong. For the young moms who became moms sooner than expected and gave it all they had. For the single moms who had to figure out how to do this on their own. For those who never got called mom, but who cared for us all like a mom would. For the hurting moms who've loved and lost but never given up. For the praying moms who don't always know what to do, but always know who to talk to. For the working moms, the stay-home moms, the cooking moms, and the takeout moms. For taking care of us when you barely had enough time to take care of yourself. For teaching us how to walk and how to make a difference. For the late night snuggles and the early morning pancakes. For sitting with us after our first breakup. For lifting us up when others put us down. For the rides, the meals, the laundry, and the birthday parties. Tears, laughter, and love. It's not enough, but we want to say thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We love you. We honor you. We remember you. We thank you. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms that are part of um, Berean. I wish that we could this morning uh, give you all a big hug and just hand you a gift, our cupcakes that we've done in years past, but we do want to honor all of our moms this year, and we have a unique way of doing that. So we are going to give you a coupon for a free cup of ice cream at Over the Top Ice Cream. How do you get it? You text the word MOM, M-O-M, to this number, 515-512-8878. 515-512-8878. Text the word MOM. Then you'll receive back from us a keyword that you can take to over-the-top ice cream and get a free cup of ice cream that's good for the next 30 days at the end of that time the coupon will expire and dads this is not for you children in the home this is not for you this is for mom all the moms that are watching right now text mom to 515-512-8878 
and we'll be glad to just help you have a great Mother's uh, Day month. But we're glad that you're with us. Without our moms, we'd all be in a mess. And so right now I want to pray for all of our moms. And I'm going to ask for the moms that are here. We have a few of the staff and friends. If you'd stand, moms, if you'd stand. And moms that are at home right now in your living room, I know this may feel a little awkward, but stand up. You're the queen of the household, and the rest of the family needs to honor that. So stand up, and uh, we're just going to pray God's blessing on your life. Lord Jesus, on this special day, this Mom's Day, we thank you for the influence and impact that mothers have had on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for all of the moms that are part of Berean Church. We thank you for their investment, their sacrifice, the tears they cry in the darkness that no one knows about, the hopes and dreams that they ponder in their heart. I pray, God, that in the year that's ahead that you would rain down your anointing and blessing on their lives, that you would continue to use them in great ways for your kingdom's sake. And those moms right now that may be in a place of discouragement or despair or doubting that may even be drifting away, I pray that right now on this Mother's Day that they'd feel your loving arms surround them and that they'd brought, be brought near to your heart. Let your blessing and anointing abide on them as we thank you for them and commit them to your care as you unveil your grand purposes in their lives in the year that's ahead. And for that, we will give thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said out loud, amen, amen, amen. You can all sit down here and at home, you can be seated. Well, we're beginning a whole new series uh, today called Come Back Stronger. I was walking around the uh, outdoor pathways, trails near our house, listening to a podcast and the phrase was used and it just really settled down in my heart. I shared it with our team and felt like it was a God moment for all of us. Right now we're in a place where it feels as though the churches may be weakened and you may feel weakened by the pressures of the pandemic and the coronavirus. But in this time of being sequestered or quarantined or alone, this is a great time for us to evaluate the things that really matter and then strengthen those things so that as we do come back together, we come back stronger. Everybody say amen at home, out loud, amen. Wave your hand, throw up some likes or hearts, help me here. It's about being stronger. What the devil means for evil, God will turn about for good. You believe that? I do. I believe that what the devil means for evil, God will turn about for good. These do not have to be looked back as the worst days of the church. I think if we do the right thing now with the hand of God on us, we can look back and say those were really the best days for the church. Those were days when God did some phenomenally amazing things, and I want to be part of that. I believe that great days are ahead. Every time in history that the church has come under pressure, the church, the true church of Jesus Christ always comes back stronger. Now there are those then, there are those that aren't really Christ followers and pressure and persecution has a means of moving people away and that's not altogether bad. I listened to one podcast that said the day of consumer Christianity is over and I'm glad if that's true, I'm all for that, that the day of consumer Christianity would be 
come to an end, but whenever pressures come to the church, it always comes back stronger. Read about persecution politically when communism tried to stomp out the church, when other ideological regimes tried to stomp out the church. The church has never been stomped out. It has always come back stronger and more forceful. In the book of Acts, you see it portrayed clearly when the church is still gathering in Jerusalem and the fist of persecution comes down hard on the church and I'm sure the devil thought we'll scatter them and we'll isolate them, we'll quarantine them, we'll separate them and they will never be able again to have the force they had in Jerusalem but here's what the word of God says. And they that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word of God. The fires of revival that were burning in Jerusalem became sparks that then flew all over the then known world as God spread the kingdom. That's what the book of Acts is all about. So what will we do? What will be our testimony? Will we come back stronger? So I have some concepts each week that we'll be talking about that I feel like God dropped in my heart. And this one's maybe the toughest one. It's one that might be the hardest for us to really think about under a time of quarantine and people are losing their jobs or at least being furloughed and some don't know what they're going to do. And I get that. And we're praying for you. And it's really not in my notes. But while I'm over here, I can say what I want till I get back to the note page. I'm going to tell you this that I believe to be true. If you have been a tither... God is going to take care of your needs. He's already declared that. He will take care of your needs. He's already declared that. And if you're not a tither, there's not a better time than now to begin that. So what's the, what's the first discipline that we need to focus our attention on if we're going to come back stronger? Here it is. We need during this time to develop a heart of generosity. ha <laughs> A heart of generosity. Now, I have to tell you a story. Um, on Thursday, during this time that the church is isolated and we haven't been able to gather and trying to keep our spirits up and encourage the team, uh, we joined together for a time of coffee that Berean provides for. I asked myself if I could do that, and I said yes. And so we provided just a time to get together and make sure we're all doing well. And and to try to be a blessing, you know, we'll be in line at Caribou, and I get no product placement money for that, but if Caribou wanted to, that'd be all right. Um, we go to Caribou, and I, play, I, I pay for the cars behind me, just however many, because they have to wait a while. I've got this long order, and, you know, I, I order a decaf Americano, and some of our team orders something that's got 12 words long that I don't even know what it means, and they'll ask me, do you want this or that with it? I have no idea. I'm going to read to you what they wrote, and you figure it out. That takes a while. Cars back up. One uh, week, there were four cars behind us, and I said, I want to pay for all four. And said, that's fine. It's $4, $6, $2, $3. That's great. You know, that's, that's, I can do that. This week, I'm preaching on generosity. There's one car behind me. I'm so glad. I'm glad. It's easy to do the right thing when it's easy to do the right thing. 
And so I'm going to be generous. One car, I said to the guy behind the counter, there behind the window, I want to pay for that car. He came back and he said, well, uh, you may want to reconsider this. Their bill is $35. <laughs> and I thought, God, you're just, you're just kind of like that. You're just kind of like that. Uh, generosity Sunday, what are you going to do then? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pay that or repent and uh, but I did say in the past I hadn't said but this time I said just let them know this is compliments of Berean church that's a capital B E R E A N let them know it's from Berean church so let's talk about this whole idea of generosity what does that mean what does it look like number one I want you to understand this that prosperity is not a measure of a bank account Prosperity is a frame of mind. Prosperity is a frame of mind. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, the scripture says this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Pause button there, I can't help. But I've always wanted to be biblical. And I've thought it'd be really fun some Sunday to just walk along with all the ushers and look everybody in the eye when we all gather back together and watch what they put in. Wouldn't that be hysterical? That's what Jesus did if we're gonna be like him. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said... I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, I don't know if you know this. I hope you do. I expect that you do. But God cares about what we do with our resources and he watches how we handle our money. That's right, amen. God cares about that, and he watches that. The sole purpose of his positioning himself there in the temple that day was to watch what people put in. If that makes you uncomfortable, elbow someone nearby or, or, or wave at them. You see, one of the things that we have to wrestle with is that giving is foundational to our spirituality. And I, I don't think even as a church world we get that. I don't think as leadership in Iowa we get that. I don't think people in churches get that. How important to our spiritual lives the handling of our resources really is. When you read in Scripture, and I don't have time to unpack all that, you find out that everything that happens in your spiritual life rests on the foundation of how you use your money. If you pray and fast and share your faith and don't tithe, it doesn't matter. Scripture is really clear in Malachi that if you don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. No, he didn't say if you don't pray, you're cursed with a curse. He said if you don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. Look at what it says in Scripture about the least of these things. The least of these things are the handling of our finances. And so that becomes foundational. Jesus is watching how we handle our finances. Now, what I found interesting in the story is I, I wondered and I tried to research was this unusual? Was it unusual for a rabbi to come and watch what people 
put in. I couldn't find anything historically that would tell me one way or the other, so keep those cards and letters coming. You can tell me whether it was or not. But as I researched that, nothing touched on the normality of his watching. What I did find is that Pharisees love to be watched. <laughs> Pharisees love to be watched. So they would have offered no objection. No one criticized him. No one asked him to move. No one stopped him. So their giving was based on a bit of an expectation or at least a willingness to be watched what they did with their resources. Now, I was reading a, a little commentary that I just want to read to you about how important this moment is. Think about this. Do you know when this story takes place? This story takes place on Tuesday of what we now call Holy Week. Jesus knows he's headed to the cross. If you knew that you had a few days to live, don't you think that what you do during those few days, if you knew that, would be important and intentional, the steps that you took? Jesus chooses on Tuesday of Holy Week to go to the temple and position himself to watch how people give. Three days later, he will die on the cross. With the clock ticking away on what would have been the hardest week of his life, what does Jesus do? Note the details. He sat down in the temple courts, not to take a breather, but to watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And the Greek word is explicit here. Jesus wasn't just watching. It's an explicit word. <clears throat> Jesus was studying the people as they gave their offerings. And he did this for some time. He's, he's not just glancing. He's studying. I mean, I, I should have someone come up here and uh, try to maintain social distance and still act this out. But it would kind of be imagined you're there about to put in the offering and Jesus is standing there going, looking at you and looking at the money, looking at you, looking at the money. He's studying that. There's an intentionality and a purpose and an energy there. Tells us that it matters what you give, it matters how you give, and why you give. So let me talk to you about that. Jesus is watching, it matters, it's an important thing. And I want to talk to you about the difference for just a minute about having a poverty mindset and an abundance mindset. A poverty mindset says that there isn't enough for me to survive. An abundance mindset says, I have more than enough to be able to survive. Jesus celebrates the woman, not the wealthy. And it's interesting that this poverty-stricken woman did not behave like a woman who was on her last dime. Do you know how people behave when they're on their last dime? They hoard toilet paper. <laughs> it's exactly what they do. I saw a great gif on Facebook of two dinosaurs looking at each other. One says there's a meteor headed straight for planet Earth. What are we going to do? And the other dinosaur says we better go buy some toilet paper. I mean, it's the mindset that we hoard it. My wife, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, was in uh, Walmart after they announced that there's a break in the supply chain and that there's going to be a shortage of meat 
and this lady is there at Walmart with a shopping cart. She's not looking at labels or even what she's buying. She's just grabbing meat and throwing it into the cart. Why do people hoard? Well, some people hoard because they have a psychological disorder. They have a compulsive disorder. They can't get rid of anything. But when you're not a hoarder and you become a hoarder, what causes that is a sense that there isn't enough for me to get by. Why do people not respond to the work of God? Because they don't, I don't have enough to pay my bills. What do I hear when people give me reasons why they don't give, why they're not generous? Well, I can't afford to. That's a poverty mindset that hoards and pulls together all of the resources they have in order to survive. It's a poverty mindset that pulls. What's an abundance mindset? An abundance mindset is I don't don't have to worry about how much I give away because I have an unlimited supply. Because I have plenty. Jesus looks at a woman who's in poverty, gives the last that she has, She is a woman with nothing who behaves as though she has everything. Why would she behave that way? And I I was praying about this. Lord, why would she behave this way? Now, I can't prove this. I have a whole set of commentaries that are called Pilcher's Speculations. Here's one of my speculations. I just think that maybe, just maybe, on her way to the temple that she began to read the word of God and she read about a widow a widow who had nothing in a time of famine and talked to the prophet and the prophet said, go get your jars and God's gonna make an abundance out of your poverty. And I think that just maybe she began to read about those empty earthen vessels being filled with oil from a supernatural source and thought, I think this just might be true. I think this just might be real. These were not her last two coins. It's all she had in her possession and gave it in because a woman with nothing had an abundance mindset and an abundance mindset allows you to be generous even when you're in a poverty stricken circumstance the reason you don't have more is because you're a hoarder God will bless us when we're generous maybe she just believed the story here's where I get that it's a mindset Godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain is not a financial matter. <laughs> uh, I get myself in trouble. But I'll never forget a service when we were trying to raise money for a project and a person who was a millionaire came up to me with tears in their eyes. God spoke to me to give today. Tears in their eyes. I'm trying to suppress a grin. A millionaire whose heart is being broken over how much they have to give. God's doing something here. Handed me a check. How many remember checks? Handed me a check for a hundred bucks. And I cried. (laughs) Not seriously, and it really because generosity comes out of a prosperity mindset that is a way of thinking, not a way of accounting. 
It's how you think about your resources. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The Bible says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world. Somehow you made it. You got here with nothing. Somehow you made it. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. If God is my supplier, I cannot see my life as poverty-stricken. If God is my supplier, to say that I have no resources is to say that he isn't real. It's economic atheism to respond in that fashion because prosperity is a frame of mind. Number two, generosity is a condition of the heart or a commitment of the heart. Generosity is a commitment of the heart. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. The, the, the book of the law is telling us that generosity has a heart attitude attached that if you're truly being generous how you feel about that matters it's not just what you think about it it's what you feel about it it's an expression of the emotion your frame of mind is a evaluation of the of the of the intellect and generosity then becomes an expression of the heart Second Chronicles, or Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verse seven: You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Decide where in your heart the manner in which you will give. <laughs> well, I'm going to give because I don't want to go to hell. No blessing in that. I'm going to give because there's pressure being put on me. There's no, there's no um, blessing in that. You decide in your heart. You can be reluctant or you can be cheerful. And generosity as an expression shows what's happening in the seat of your emotions. If you want to have the joy of the Lord, try being a cheerful giver. Learn what that feels like. And there are people, I know there are people that tithe every paycheck that resent it. How can you tell? <laughs> when the amount of the tithe is X number of dollars and 12 and a half cents. Well, maybe not the half, but trying to make sure that I don't give a penny more than I have to. Giving cheerfully, giving thankfully that this is an opportunity for God to do something through me and in me that would not happen any other way. The most cheerful time in a worship service ought to be the offering. The most cheerful time in your week ought to be when you text your offering to Brian Church, when you put your offering in the mail, when you set up that online account, when you're supporting the work of the kingdom. What is all that? It's a chance to be joyful. It's a 
choice of your emotion. And if you think that your emotions aren't a choice, then you're living as a slave to your emotions. But I've chosen to rule my emotions, not always, but as much as I can. Generosity becomes a commitment of the heart. When you're generous, generosity will inspire thanksgiving. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. Let me read that again. Your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. When you bless others, when you're generous toward others they will respond with a thankful heart. What if they don't? Well, then that's their problem. But by and large, people who receive a blessing respond with thanksgiving. Think about the power of that. Think of the power of that. I was telling someone, I read a story this week about a grandmother who would give a cash gift to all of her grandchildren. She'd write out a check, old school, and give it to them and send it as they lived in different parts of the city and the country, the state. And, and it got to a place as they got older, they quit being thankful. And they quit coming around to say thank you and didn't send a card anymore. So one year, she sent them all a Christmas card with a check with a generous amount and didn't sign it. So they had to come see grandma. <laughs> It creates a thankful heart. You know, and I thought about that. That unsigned check is like the gift from God that you don't express thanks for. You see, if you start with thanksgiving for all that he has blessed you and how generous God has been with you, then you can likewise be generous. Generosity comes out of a response to everything that God has done and the same thankfulness that's produced in others when you bless them will be produced in you. When you give, it changes you from the inside out. It inspires thanksgiving. And I want you to think about it this way. Generosity then reflects the heart of God. The Bible describes what Jesus did as being generous. Don't you think that was pretty generous? It was pretty generous for Jesus to leave the splendor of heaven and the riches and the sustenance and the glory and the majesty of heaven and step off of his throne and become a peasant to live among us and then die for us to give us freely newness of life. I'd say that's pretty generous. Wouldn't you? I'd say that's pretty generous. The Bible says it this way. Remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of us all. He was rich beyond our telling, yet he became poor for your sake so that his poverty might make you rich. Think about that in practical terms. Would you be willing? And I'm not suggesting you need to do this. I'm, not, I'm just saying, here's what Jesus did. Are, would you be willing to be homeless so someone else could have a house? Would you be willing to be carless so someone else could drive? 
Would you be willing to empty your bank accounts and live as a pauper so that someone else could live on your resources and be wealthy? And again, I'm not suggesting that's generosity. I'm suggesting that's what Jesus did. And out of that then, when we are generous to others, I'm not talking about trying to... um, help them do the wrong thing being complicit in that or an enabler I'm talking about his generosity was given to us when we're generous to others sometimes even that don't deserve it we're reflecting the heart of God the Bible says in Acts chapter 15 verse 11 we are saved because of Jesus out of sheer generosity Jesus, out of sheer generosity, moved to save us. So generosity is a frame of mind. It's how you think about your resources. Generosity is a commitment of the heart. It's how you feel about your resources. And then third, growth requires an intentional strategy. So if prosperity is a frame of mind, generosity is a commitment of the heart, growth requires an intentional strategy. It's an act of the will. It's what you choose to do. It's one thing to think. It's another thing to feel. It's another thing to choose to act. I've shared this before. Maybe it's just because I'm getting a little older. I recognize that reality. But my wife will ask me to do something while I'm sitting in a recliner. And my intellect says I should do that. And my emotions tell me, you'll pay a pr- I mean, my emotions tell me that you should want to do this. And I want to. But until I engage my will, nothing happens. I don't know how many of you men, your job is to take out the garbage. Well, you can agree to it, you can feel it, but until you choose it, nothing's going to happen. Growth in generosity or any other spiritual discipline requires an intentional plan. It won't happen spontaneously. The Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm just going to point you toward it. Paul says, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. And much of Scripture talks about striving, pressing, working, giving, because we have to, we have to work to get there. We have to engage the process. It requires you doing something for anything to take place. Spiritual growth is never serendipitous. Spiritual growth is never spontaneous. Giving is never really spontaneous if it's healthy. You see, sowing and reaping requires an intentional strategy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly, and I'm going to add this little bit of a paraphrase, when you make a decision to invest sparingly, the consequence of that decision is that you will reap sparingly. And when you make a decision to sow generously, you will reap the consequence of that decision by reaping generously. You have to make a decision on how you are going to sow. It's never really spontaneous, and if it's going to be healthy, it can't be. So all of that, I've said all that, all that's introduction. 
Now I'm going to preach the message. This is what it comes down to. We're in a time of pandemic. We're in a time where everybody feels poverty. We're in a, we're in a time when people are hoarding still everything. I, I listened. I listened on my way here. It just cracked me up on the radio to a Charmin toilet paper ad. And, and I thought, I've never felt so loved as by Charmin right now. We're for you. We're working 24 hours a day. You are not alone in this. We are making toilet paper for you. I thought, that is amazing. Somebody's on my side. It's Charmin toilet paper. What is that? It's an intentional marketing strategy is what it is. And your generosity has to have an intentional plan if you're going to accomplish anything. So practically, pragmatically, what does that mean? What's the bottom line? What do we do? Well, let me suggest to you four things. They're not on your notes. You can write them down somewhere. That all of this comes down to the application. Number one, if you're going to grow in this time of pandemic and poverty into a prosperity mindset and grow in generosity, what better time than in a time of struggle to become more generous. The oasis is much more attractive in the desert. This is the time, I hope you're hearing me, if we're going to come back stronger, let's not develop our skills at hoarding. Let's grow in our ability to be generous. So number one, take time to lay a solid financial foundation. Get your household in order. Get your finances in order. You can't have a solid financial foundation if you are simply a spontaneous spender. You cannot be effective for the kingdom when you're moved by the ad that you see on television and how you respond to that. Oh, I want this. I'm going to go buy this. If you're going to be effective for the kingdom and be generous, do the work right now. Get, get those, um, whether it's Crown Financial or it's uh, any of the other um, um, financial success, faith-based directions, start now to lay a solid financial foundation to know where your money goes. Listen, when my kids were little and left the house, I wanted to know when they were leaving, where they were going, and when they would be back. Well, I've got a bunch of little kids now that's called money. I don't have as many as I'd like, but I have some. I need to know where they go, where they're staying, and when they're coming back. It's called laying a solid financial foundation. Get some help. We'd be glad to help you. There are resources out there. So look at your finances. Get them in order. This is the time to do that. Number two, plan for discretionary resources. Plan for discretionary resources. Make room in your budget for discretionary money. And not just money, but time, talent, and treasure. Make room in your budget for discretionary resources. I was talking to my son, and I, I still haven't figured out how to evaluate something he said to me. I just want to make this clear. I am not old enough to be planning to begin retirement. I just want to make that clear. But we were talking about retirement, and my son, Caleb, listened to that for a while, and he said, Dad, I can't 
imagine you ever retiring. Now, that could mean one of two things. It could mean that my work ethic impressed him. Or it could mean he sees me as someone who doesn't take time to enjoy the moment. You hear what I'm saying? I don't think he meant the second. I'm going to choose the other. But my point being, you can be so busy that you don't have time to be generous with your time. That you don't have time to be generous with your treasure because in order to maintain your, your financial platform, you've got to work all of the time to make that happen. So begin to plan for discretionary time. What would you like to be able to do for the kingdom? What would you like to be able to do for your neighbors? Then write into that foundational platform of finance a discretionary channel. Treasure, time, and money. Lay a foundation, plan for discretionary resources, strategize how to get there. Third, look for needs you can touch. Look for needs that you can touch. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And would you permit me to tell that silly story? Uh, or it's not a silly story, but it's been repeated over and over about the little boy on the beach. The tide has come in. The beach is littered with, with starfish that can't get back to the ocean. You've heard the story. The boy's walking along, grabbing them, throwing him, them in one at a time. And a man walks by and says, boy, you know what you're doing is an empty endeavor. There's no way you can get back all those starfish back in the ocean. It doesn't matter. You can't fix it. It doesn't matter. Why don't you quit trying? In the wisdom of a child, he picked up a starfish and said it matters to this one and threw it back into the ocean. I can't fix everybody, but I can fix one. I can help one. I can touch somebody. Look around for needs that touch you, something you can do something about. I can't pay everybody's bills. I can't be the guy that writes a million-dollar check and sets the city right set up. I can't do any of that, but I can do something. I can see a need, and I can respond to it. One of the things that's really encouraged me, I had a meeting with pastors who were saying, are all of you getting more requests for help, and everybody wanted to help? And really, we're not getting a lot of that, but what I am hearing is when people have help, they have two networks that they're relying on, friends and family and those that had a healthy small group here at Berean. They're looking for networks that they were already in to meet their need because they knew that somebody would see it and respond to it. Look for a need that you can respond to. Look for something you can do, a need that you can touch. And then fourth, invest outside of yourself. What does that mean? It means I need to help my family, and if any man provide not for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worth, worse than an inf infidel. But generosity is outside of you, expecting nothing in return. So I'm going to give you those four again. I'm going to ask you to write those down. During this time of pandemic, of quarantine, let's take time to measure this, to think about this. How can I, how can I come back stronger? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say that Berean Church came out of pandemic, came out of COVID, more generous than any time in Berean's history? While we're watching income function at about two-thirds of normal, we can't sit back and say, shut the doors. We have to say, let's be generous 
and if it's our last two cents, let's be generous. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church of Jesus Christ that meets at Berean came out of this and said, God did a miracle in my life and I've discovered the path of generosity in a world in time of need. We'll change this city, we'll change our state, we'll change the world if we'll develop a heart of generosity. Pastor Nathan, would you come? One more time, these four primary points. Lay a solid financial foundation. Plan for discretionary resources. Look for needs that you can touch and invest outside of yourself. That will help you grow in a spirit or heart of generosity. In a time of cultural poverty and need, we can come back stronger if we'll develop a generous heart. It's counter-cultural. It's counter-context. And that's what we have been called to do. So right now, heads bowed in your home. Those of you that are here, wherever you are. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in just a moment of worship. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us right now. Jesus, help us right now. All of this is for naught if you don't help us. Spirit of God, move among us right now. Let us hear your voice. I want you to imagine you're about to put your money in the church treasury. And Jesus walks up and looks at you. Would he look at your history and say, that is generosity. If Jesus were to walk with you around your neighborhood, would he say, this is a generous household. If he looked at the inner recesses of your heart, would he look with approval and say to the rest of the followers, look at this heart. This is a generous heart. Let Jesus talk to you as Pastor Nathan leads us in worship. Still in your hands 
This is my confidence You've never failed me generosity is not an amount of money it's how we respond give us generous hearts and again today dear Lord Jesus we thank you for moms and ask your blessing on their lives that you continue to make yourself real to them and we'll give you thanks in Jesus name 
God bless you. Let's grow in generosity. Moms, have a wonderful day. Get some ice cream on us. And God bless you all. Thanks for joining us today. God bless you.